Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. Welcome, and this is Coffee Break. It's being brought to you by Versant Real Estate Group. If you have a property that fits the needs of their buyers, call David at Versant, 459-8565. Troy Shockley here with you, and Stuart Davis still filling in this week, but we had a little switcheroo in the schedule, so we're going to replay for you a conversation that we had with Helena Regional Airport Director Jeff Wadekamper. Jeff, the man that keeps the planes running on time next door at the Helena Regional Airport. Jeff, thanks for coming over this morning. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Troy. First things first, last time we were in, you talked about the process you're going through to get a new airline, new destination here in Helena. Where are we with that? So right now, uh, we issued our application to the USDOT for the Small Community Air Service Development Grant. Uh, we issued our application a couple of weeks ago. The deadline was March 1st. We put ours in about a week ahead of time to make sure it got there okay. We got confirmation they received it. So now, I guess to use an aviation term, we're kind of in a holding pattern, waiting yeah. until the grant gets this issue. You're circling is what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, we're circling, yeah. And so we're waiting for that. And, uh, you know, Americans waiting along with us and, and to see when that comes out. We anticipate that'll probably be sometime in the middle of the summer when they issue those grants. Okay. And then after that, it'll be up to American to decide uh, when, when they can schedule the service and those kinds of things. Do we feel pretty good about that though or oh, i think so yeah i mean we feel confident about it i mean you know americans definitely interested i mean helen is uh, obviously like the rest of montana is a growing market uh, we had a very successful campaign thanks again to the entire community that supported us through that process uh, we generated some great uh, revenues for uh, that incentive package at the local level i think we were at 105,000 in cash for the revenue guarantee 107,000 in marketing and then the airport's uh, fee mitigation package was worth 120,000 so uh, that's a pretty good package to add yeah. to the million dollar air service grant we're asking for to to entice them to come in here airports across the state got some federal aid here i think it was like 68 million dollars or something or 68 airports getting I don't even remember how much money. It was a lot of money. It was a lot of money, yeah, yeah. They distributed it out depending on, you know, passenger traffic and things of that nature. And uh, Helena did get some money as well to help with uh, ongoing operating costs. We're still down 62% from normal on passenger traffic currently. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a real welcome to see that money to help us keep everybody employed, keep paying our expenses, because while the, the passenger traffic is down and the flights aren't uh, operating as much, we still have all those expenses to keep things going, mm -hmm. and and uh, so it's good to have. Was it 1.5 million here? It was for one point, uh, yeah, a little over 1.3 million that Helena received from that. Okay, yeah. and so that's going to go. Is, is that basically go just in a like the general fund is essentially where that goes? Or so the FA hangs on to that money, and we have to actually apply for it, and so we have to send them proof that we've had those expenses, and it's only for maintenance and operating costs. Okay, you know, insurance, salaries, all those things, utilities. So we send them those bills, and then they reimburse. So it's a reimbursement. Us. So you plan. draw it down as okay. you use it. They don't really just give it to you in right. a lump. So was that anticipated? I mean, is it something you sort of count on and know in the budget? Like, hey, this is coming up. We don't know exactly how much, but we have a general idea. Well, or? we didn't. We didn't know. You know, there was the first round of cares funds that came out and after that we really didn't know if there would be any additional and so it was kind of an unknown until just recently uh, uh, when we found out that we were going to get another pot uh, okay. to help with those expenses so yeah i mean silly question right but how, how big a deal is that i mean when we oh, talk it's it, it's a big deal yeah i mean because uh, you know otherwise i mean we'd be in far worse shape i mean if we had to start uh you know laying folks off and and, and those kinds of things it would be yeah it, it'd be a real challenge uh to get because we run a pretty efficient ship anyways and right. we really run the place pretty lean so uh it would have been it would have been difficult so we're we're grateful for the for the help on that and and uh, it'll keep us going the good news is we've talked about it on the show before is you know uh, helena regional doesn't operate quite the same as a lot of airports so you're not depending strictly on 
those tickets and those people coming in, you've you've got money coming in from elsewhere, which has had to have helped you through this last year now. Oh, it has. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely helped us to have a diversified revenue portfolio that we have, uh, getting revenue from non-aeronautical sources and different things like that that aren't just strictly based on air traffic and aviation. That's been hugely helpful. And I think it's reflected even in the CARES money or the stimulus money that we just received. Uh, you see what we, re- we received based on other airports, and we mm-hmm. received a lot less uh, because we have that diversified revenues, we didn't we didn't suffer as many losses. So right. that was that was helpful. Yeah, there's other communities getting multiple millions of dollars. Oh yeah, just to keep them afloat. Yep. So absolutely, y- you don't get that extra money, Jeff. But uh, there's a reason because <laughs> you're doing a good job out there. Yeah, we feel we are. We're trying to you know we're trying to run the place really efficiently, and and there's no local taxes. Uh, nobody's local taxes goes into funding the airport. Nothing from the city, county, state. Uh, funds the airport. It's it's all uh, on the revenues we generate, and then the federal mm-hmm. program for some of the infrastructure projects, of course. So yeah, Jeff Waitacamper is with us this morning, filling us in on airport news, and you have some projects going on uh, out there. I mean, last year in it was down to sort of painting, and you know you were you were doing it was the honeydew list at the, by the end there, but you've got a big project coming up. This is th- this is a big deal. It is, yeah. So this summer, we're going to be redoing our primary runway. It's the one uh, runway that the airlines and, and the large aircraft can use. Uh, you know, it's a big project to do. Uh, it's one of those things that we've been planning it for a number of years and doing the design on. Uh, you know, paving has a certain lifespan, and we're always, every year, we're analyzing that pavement and looking at it and making sure uh, that it's staying in good condition. And a runway is really unique. It's different from a road or a parking lot. Uh, because you can't have any imperfections. I mean, you can't really uh, have any cracks or, or potholes. Uh, you know, when you start seeing frost heaves and things like that, it's a real problem. So we try to stay ahead of that because uh, even a small rock detaching from the runway, you know, can be damaging to an aircraft engine. It can be a catastrophic issue. So you really treat those runways with a lot of uh, uh, maintenance and, and ongoing uh, you know, a tender, loving care, I guess you could say, to make yeah. sure that you extend the life of the pavement. But typically every 15 to 20 years, most airports have to redo their runway. Ours has been 21 years since we last re- redid it. So it's it's definitely time. Okay. And so, so the, that's the, I was going to ask the average lifespan. It's sort of dependent probably on usage and uh, you know, weather and that sort of thing, but 15 to 20 years. That's usually the rule of thumb. I mean, airport runways are a little unique too on the top surface where they have a different surface treatment on the top. So ours is what uh, they call a, a porous friction course. So it's almost like uh, if, if you looked at the old buildings that had the popcorn ceiling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it looks kind of like that. And the reason for that is so it provides good uh, friction uh, during the times the runway is wet or during the winter when there's snow melting off and those kinds of things. But that, that rock aggregate on the top really relies on those oils to hold that in place. And the sun and the weather and the freeze and the thaw and the snow plowing and the aircraft traffic – all wears that down, and you start to get to the point where the life of it starts to, uh, you know, get to the end of its useful life, and it, it can start coming apart, and you don't want those. Uh, and you don't want to like, wait until that happens. Yeah, yeah, because you yeah. can't have that gravel. I mean, if that starts to unravel, like I say, it's real damaging to airplane engines and propellers, and it's just a real hazard, uh, a danger to aircraft. So you really need to stay ahead of that. We fog sealed our runway over the years. We've crack sealed and done all the preventative maintenance to keep it in good condition. But uh, it gets to a point in time where you you know that just isn't sufficient anymore, and you just have to do a, re- a remodel. Yeah, on and it. it's not like roads in town where you go out and fill the pothole and chip seal, and yeah, it gets yeah. another year out of it. You just got to kind of redo this whole thing at once. You do, yeah. And the top layer. So what we're doing 
is uh, most of the runway, the bulk of the runway, we're milling off three inches of uh, the top layer. Uh, the asphalt out there is 10 inches deep, believe it or not, and it's on about a three-foot gravel base to handle the weight of, of the big aircraft. So we're going to mill off the top three inches, repave uh, the top three inches in, except for the east end, the far east end of the runway. There's a short section down there that we're going to do full depth reconstruction, dig four feet down, replace the gravel. That end down there was extended on back in the early 70s, uh, 71, 72 is actually when that was done. And it doesn't have uh, what they really term, I guess, a frost-resistant uh, base material. And that's really important to to have that because, like I mentioned, you know, this time of year you go drive around in some of the secondary mm -hmm. roadways and you'll notice all the frost heaves and the road starts to heave up and break apart. And you just simply can't have that happen on a runway. It has to be stable and smooth and you want it to last. And so that's why we're rebuilding that end. But when we're doing that, We'll have that dug up, and we'll have the runway shortened a little bit. We're fortunate we have a 9,000-foot-long runway, so we can work on that end, shorten the runway up, and the airlines can still use it during that period of time. But when we do the mill and overlay of the remainder of it, then unfortunately we'll have an eight-day period it where it's closed completely. How, how long do the airlines need? Like what is sort of industry standard? Well, they can get down to depending on – it all depends on, of course, a lot of factors, the type of aircraft, you know, the weather conditions, the temperature, the daytime, the loads. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But generally speaking, they need six to 7,000 feet okay. in length is typically what they like to have for today's jet fleet that they operate in. And so so ours a little bit longer. So you can work on that end, and they're still good. They'll still be good, yeah. But coming up here, and, and this is in uh, in June when June. you're going to be doing? Yep, June 6th through the 13th are the is the eight-day period that we're going to have the runway completely closed. And unfortunately, during that time, there won't be any airline flights in or out of Helena. Uh, you know, I wish we had a second air carrier runway here that we could uh, utilize, but unfortunately, that's not uh, feasible in, in a location like Helena. The FAA dictates really the... Uh, the the types of runways you can have and how many and uh, they just you know won't justify in fact there's no other Montana airport that has a second air carrier runway when you're in communities the size of uh, of communities that are in Montana uh, that that's just the capacity you have you're kind of stuck with that so that's not really an option yeah so for about a week everything is just going to kind of be at a standstill out there it will yeah we're going to have our secondary two runways open. Uh, for you know all the other aircraft that that use the airport that are smaller you know air ambulances uh, some of the smaller air, air cargo flights uh, business jets uh, private aircraft uh, uh, you know even some of the smaller fire tankers if we should have a, a fire season starting early which hopefully we don't uh, you know all those aircraft can use our other two runways but uh, unfortunately the airlines and the big heavy jet fire tankers uh, can't use those other two runways for those eight days. Okay, so starting in early June, we're going to be closing things for a week, and it's uh, my guess is an expensive job. It is, yeah, yeah. We had uh, uh, this was out for bid. Uh, we opened bids here a week ago. In fact, just this last Tuesday, we awarded the bid. Uh, Hell in the Sand and Gravel was the successful bidder, and it uh, the it was, bid was ten point eight million dollars. So yeah, it's a big. We actually had an estimated cost of about twelve and a half million. And so the bid came in under the estimate. So that was that was good news. Yeah. That's the budget that we have put together with the FAA for this project. But yeah, that's a that's a monumental project. It's a it's a large amount of money, big investment. Uh, but there again, the runway is really about the most important thing we have. Right. Yeah. It's it's important to do and to do right. And um, you know, you mentioned the FAA there. There's certainly some some money coming, but you have to foot some of the bill as well. It's usually, and important to note, you pointed out earlier, this is not coming out of city or, you know, it's not coming out of taxes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So typically the FAA will fund 90% uh, of these types of projects that are eligible. And then the local airport has to come up with the other 10%. So, 
you know, on a, on a $10 million project, it's a, it's a pretty big local match that we have to come up with. And, and, uh, but it's, you know, we've got a plan to, to do that and uh, everything should work out fine there. We, we kind of looked at it originally when the pandemic started and thought, are we going to be able to do this? Or are we going to uh, have to put it off? Uh, but it's to the point that we really don't feel we can put it off. We also don't want to put it off uh, because uh, this is the time to do it when traffic is still mm-hmm. slower than normal. If we get this done in the first part of the summer, uh, you know, all our projections are showing the second half of the summer. We think travel is really going to pick up, and we'll have this behind us for another 20-plus years. Yeah, that'll be great. Jeff Wadekamper from Helena Regional Airport with us. We've got a couple minutes left with him, and you mentioned this was done uh, 20 years ago, and at that time they closed the runway for a very long time. 60 days, yeah. We had a little bit more reconstruction we had to do back then in the center because we had a dip in the center that had to be raised up. And actually, one of the uh, the main city water lines that comes from the water treatment plant actually goes under the runway and into the city. So they replaced that at that point in time as well. So, yeah, back then it was a 60-day shutdown. And things were a little different because back in those days, the airlines, they operated, they still had some smaller aircraft in their fleets, you know, 35-seaters and things like that. And at that time, we were able to utilize one of our taxiways, believe it or not, as a temporary runway. Uh, now today, you come to today and none of the airlines operate those small aircraft anymore. They've all since been retired and sent to the boneyard. So that's just not an option. But it was a unique time back then that we did that project. It was uh, quite an effort. You've got to be relieved. It's not going to be 60 days of looking out your window waiting for the next plane to land. Yeah, that, that <laughs> would be really tough to do today. You know, and that's and I have to say that, you know, the plan we have put together is very, very aggressive. I mean, you're going to have numerous crews working 24 hours a day around the clock. Uh, multiple milling and paving machines. Uh, they're going to bring in a second hot plant to set up to build enough asphalt. I mean, it's really an aggressive process to get it down to those eight days. But uh, And we do have a couple of days of wiggle room, to be totally honest, uh, in there because, you know, you have to factor in if there was a weather event sure. or rain or, or equipment failure because uh, Mother Nature, we're kind of at her mercy too. So hopefully that'll work. Yeah, so out. we're crossing our fingers. Kurt, you got to make sure that the weather forecast <laughs> is accurate for about 10 days in June. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and that way we can get uh, Jeff and uh, all those guys uh, out there and getting that thing done. And, and so going forward uh, here in our last minute, Jeff, this hopefully lasts another 20 years before we have to do this again. Yeah, that's and that's the, you know, that's the goal. I mean, have it done and do it right and uh, make sure that it can last for you know for a couple decades of service in the, into the future and make sure that it's safe and, and things are in good condition. So. so if people want to find out about this or about anything else going on out there at the airport, uh, best thing to do, other than just swinging by and checking out the airport, I suppose just go on the website, huh? Yeah, yeah. Go to uh, HelenAirport.com is our airport website. And uh, we've got right on the homepage, you'll see an announcement about the runway project. And you can go to our projects and events tab. There's a link there. And we've got a whole bunch of information that talks about the project. Uh, if you're interested, we also have some posts on Facebook, and we'll continue to update those as the project goes on and as we get closer to that yeah. time frame. And we'll swing back around with you this uh, this spring and chat with you again. Sounds great. Jeff, way to camper from Helena Regional Airport. Jeff, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Always it. a pleasure. Stick around. More Coffee Break with Stuart Davis coming up after this. I just wanted to step away from the show for a few seconds to tell you that if you miss an episode, you can always catch up. We're on iTunes, so find our show there or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Local and area events, city, state, and national officials, your neighbors doing incredible things. We talk to them all on Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. 
In today's always on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, we deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across Montana. Ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com security. Good morning, Stuart Davis in for Troy Shockley on this Thursday edition of Coffee Break. Coffee Break is brought to you by Versant Real Estate Group. Finding the perfect buyer for your home doesn't have to be daunting. Call David at Versant at 459-8565. I am pleased to welcome into the show right now Dr. Pamela Dixon, Director of Clinical Services and Inclusion at Autism Speaks. That's the largest autism advocacy organization in the United States. As we start World Autism Month today here in the month of April, Dr. Welcome. Welcome to Coffee Break. Thank you, Stuart. It's so nice to have you. A, a lot to get to uh, and not a lot of time, but I, I really want to start with everybody's familiar with autism and kind of have a, has an idea in their head, but could you really kind of break down what exactly are we talking about when we talk about someone that is autistic? Okay, thanks for the question. So, you know, there's this, there's this saying that if you know one person with autism, you know one person with autism, meaning that people with autism are as different as anyone else, an individual as anyone else. But what, what is meant by autism or autism spectrum disorder is that a person uh, experiences challenges with social functioning, communication, and then there's also the presence of some um, repetitive behaviors or uh, restricted interests. So what this looks like in young children um, is that they may their delay their development of language may be delayed, and they may have um, challenges with eye contact. Uh, they may not respond to their name, uh, and may not use gestures that you see young children use, like pointing or waving. As far as World Autism Month, uh, this is designed, I guess, to bring a, a little bit more awareness to uh, the uh, the condition of autism throughout. Uh, can you just talk about, you know, what what is going on this month and 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 what it's all about? Right. So, um, so exactly, this this uh, World Autism Month is the purpose is to raise awareness and really to celebrate people with autism and, um, and to focus efforts kind of um, on helping people with autism reach their full potential. So it's a time for us to really raise awareness and especially about the importance of screening. Again, we're talking with Dr. Pamela Dixon, Director of Clinical Services and Inclusion at Autism Speaks. That's the largest autism advocacy organization in the United States. And and Dr. Dixon, I, I'm curious, this is something that you hear about more and more and more. And I guess it's still worth trying to understand uh, the causes and, and you know, the, the symptoms in early screening. But has autism always been around or is it more of a 20th and 21st century uh, ramification uh, and it just went undiagnosed earlier, uh, you know, in years past? Uh, why do we see a, a growing prevalence in the number of cases of autism? Has it just been underdiagnosed? Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a really great question. And I think, um, you know, I, I think you're right that it was underdiagnosed prior. And so we were... You know, people with autism, we suspect, have, you know, have always been here. And it's just that we were diagnosing them with other things instead of autism. 
and uh, and also as our diagnostic uh, criteria have changed, there's been a shift, uh, and so that's why it you know it seems as if there are increasing numbers now. We've just gotten better at identifying, and I think because of reduced stigma. We have more people willing, you know, more parents willing to step forward and say, hey, I think this might be what's happening with my child. And we have more adults who are willing to step forward and say, hey, I think this is what's, you know, going on with me. The screening process, obviously you want to catch this early. Why is that so important that, you, that you, we go ahead and diagnose and, and, and identify a, a child with autism at a, at a very young age? Right. So the the power of early screening and diagnosis is that uh, children can start intervention early. And research shows us very clearly that early intervention leads to uh, better development of skills in terms of uh, speech and language, cognitive functioning, daily living skills, uh, social interaction. It also gives parents the, the skills and strategies that they can use to help support their children. You mentioned that there, there there's a broad spectrum of, of the varying degrees of autism and and in uh, in in people. As as far as what are some commonalities of early warning signs or early signs that a a child may be autistic or or predisposed? Sure. So uh, so early signs would be. Um, you know, not making eye contact. It would be not a child not responding to their name or having a, um, a delayed response to their name. They're not using uh, gestures to get their needs met. Uh, you, you may also see children um, engaging in like, repetitive motor mannerisms like flicking of fingers or flapping of hands or arms. Or they may become so um, focused on an activity or a toy uh, then they have a really hard time transitioning from it. And then, of course, uh, you know, difficulties with, with interacting with peers. And if at any point a child loses language, say they've had words and then they seem to lose them um, or other skills, then that's an area, uh, a reason for concern as well. Is autism, is it something that can de- develop later in life or is it something that they're born with and it just manifests at a young age? Um, for the most part, we we see that it's manifesting at a young age, but that doesn't mean that it always gets you know, um, picked up, right? And so there are you know definitely you know cases where you know people are not diagnosed until identified until you know teenage uh, years or adulthood. The numbers are, are pretty staggering. One in 54 children in the U.S. is diagnosed with, with autism spectrum disorder. Uh, and it really seems to affect males more than females. One in 34 boys identified with autism compared to one in 144 girls. Why that discrepancy? We, we understand that genetics are involved, but do we have an idea of why there, it affects uh, boys more than girls? Right, so I think you you know you hit on one thing, which is that genet it's you know partially genetic, but that there's also uh, we have some research that's showing us that our diagnostic tools may um, you know not be picking up girls and women um, as easily as boys, um, and there's some research that shows that girls and women are better able to mask their symptoms of autism, so it may not uh, you know. Um, become uh, aware to those around them that this is something that they, you know, that autism may be at play here. 
Again, speaking with Dr. Pamela Dixon, Director of Clinical Services and Inclusion at Autism Speaks. And doctor, the causes of autism, we're still understanding this disorder. We're still trying to pinpoint what actually is the trigger for this. But one thing that I, I think that the science has shown that vaccinations are not the cause of autism. Uh, you know, we have that in the news right now with the COVID vaccine. There's an anti-vaxxing movement all over the place for different things, whether it's mumps, measles, and rubella. Uh, but autism also gets this stigma. Where did that come from? And, and, it can, and that it can be put to rest that vaccines do not equate giving someone autism. Right. So I think you, 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 you stated it well that we can put that to rest, that vaccines do not cause autism. But I, you know, I don't want to, you know, minimize the uh, concerns that parents have about, um, you know, vaccines or anything else. And, uh, you know, all parents want to um, do is protect their children and to be able to parent them well and be able to help their child reach their full potential. And so, you know, so, so I just encourage parents to, you know, focus their energies on, uh, responding to those concerns that they see in their child and, um, you know, going through a screening and diagnostic process to be able to, you know, open the doors to intervention that can to really, really help them and give them, the, the parents, the, the strategies they need to be able to support the child. And again, with the spectrum, there's varying degrees. Uh, there's high functioning, and then there, there's severe, you know, autism. As far as, but but for the most part, with the, the proper uh, diagnosis and, and the proper help, uh, these individuals can lead very full and productive lives. Correct. Yes, and as an organization, that's our focus. Is that you know that's our vision. You know, is is being able, you know, having a world where every person with autism can reach that full potential. Well, I appreciate you coming on with us today for a coffee break. Uh, I, you're, it's very, very uh, good information to get out to the public. Again, World Autism Month going on the whole month of April. Dr. Pamela Dixon, Director of Clinical Services and Inclusion at Autism Speaks, thank you so much for joining us here on this morning of coffee break. Thank you for having me. Be well. Bye-bye. And again, uh, we are going to uh, wrap things up here for this Thursday morning. Again, I want to thank Jeff Wedekemper, who came on and joined Troy Shockley to talk about all the great things going on at the Helena Regional Airport. And again, want to thank Dr. Pamela Dixon, Director of the Clinical Services and Inclusion at Autism Speaks. That is the largest autism advocacy organization in the United States, and they are promoting autism, World Autism Awareness Month all month here in the month of April. And again, we've got a big show again tomorrow. So we're going to have some recruiters from the Montana Army National Guard for the Friday edition of Coffee Break as we wrap up another great week here in the Queen City of the Rockies. Until then, we'll talk to you later. I'm Troy Shockley, and that's it for Coffee Break today. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. Head on over. Give us a review there. That's always much appreciated. Or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here tomorrow.